Welcome to Evangel Church. Our mission is to bring people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com. My name is Pastor Chris, and if you are newer to our church, uh, maybe you've never heard something like that take place before. But if you read God's Word, you'll see that the Holy Spirit... He's not, he did not just exist in the Bible times, but he exists today. That the Bible says the same spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is alive in us. And Jesus promised that he would lead us into all truth. And so there will be times when the Holy Spirit will move upon a heart and they'll speak out a message. Um, and then we, as a body, we're able to respond to that message um, as the Lord would bring it. And so I'm thankful today that God is alive. I'm thankful today his word is alive and active. And we have been having church what I'm calling an epic summer, haven't we? This is an incredible summer. I'm amazed to see that just a few weeks back, we stood here and this entire front of this platform was filled with people who had given up a week of this summer or more saying, I want to go. I want to have my feet ready with the readiness that comes from bringing the gospel of peace and I will go. I will go to Mexico. I will go to, to Guatemala. I will go to Uganda. Another team of youth, our next generation going to Guatemala. Later this year, a team going to Haiti. It's amazing to see how many people have answered the call to go and God's doing an epic thing in all those areas and in their lives. Can we give it up for the Lord again just for the incredible, incredible things that are happening. And not only that, but there are so many ways for you, church, you don't have to go around the world to be a part of missions. We have opportunities right across our various streets, so please continue to avail yourself to those opportunities. We are in a series of messages that are going to lead us through the summer. The title of this sermon series is Epic, God-Sized Stories. And the purpose of this is for us to explore uh, a lot of Scripture together as we take a journey through a section of the Old Testament. I shared with you in the past that we have here at the church a five-year goal that we're going to walk through the entirety of the Bible together as a church uh, throughout these next years. So we've already are in year three. Uh, we started with the Gospels and we read through as a church for 40 days. We read through the entirety of the Gospels back in 2014. Last year, we read from Acts to Revelation and we read the rest of the New Testament in a series we called New in 42. And now we're going to be reading through Joshua all the way through to 2 Kings. It's important that we learn to read God's word deep and wide, that we don't just look at one passage of scripture or one chapter, but we're able to see the big story that God is writing. And you need to know something today. This is not just a bunch of different stories. This is one story of God redeeming mankind forever, of God reconciling us to himself, of God sending his only beloved son. It's a story of how God has overcome sin, death, and the grave to rescue you and I. It's a father's love letter to us. And so it's so important that we understand that. And so it's important that you take part in this reading plan. I'm so thankful for those of you that have been reading. Uh, each week we get through almost a whole, a whole book of the Bible and uh, we started in Joshua, then we went through Judges and through the first half of 1 Samuel this last week. And now we're going to come through the second half of 1 Samuel this week and continue on through. Um, continue to journey with us. If you want to pick up a reading plan, you could stop in the back after service and pick that up or go to evangelchurch.com and we have all the resources digitally for you there online. If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to 1 Samuel chapter 22. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 22 this morning. And as you're turning there, I just want to catch you up on where we've been so far in the series. Uh, we started in the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is a turning point 
in God's story that's unfolding among the people of God. Because up until that point, they had been waiting some 400 plus years to enter into a place that God had promised them long, long ago through their forefather, Abraham. God said that there's going to be a land for them, a land that they could inhabit, a land where they could be his people and where God can reign over them and they can have a relationship with him. Well, they instead settled for Egypt and they found themselves there and eventually becoming slaves in Egypt instead of occupying the land that God had promised them. Well, God heard their cry and he came with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. He rescued them out of Egypt. And then they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because they didn't have the faith to enter into God's promised land. They wandered and they tripped over themselves and they actually fell in the wilderness. But there was another generation that God was preparing and a young man named Joshua who had grown older in his years and God spoke to him one day and said my servant Moses is dead arise because it's time to enter in and they entered into God's promise they entered in to a place that God had been speaking to them about for many many decades many centuries God had been promising them this inheritance and they finally were able to possess it now once they did This is what I've heard said, and this is what I've told you in the past, that God did a great job of getting them out of Egypt, but they did a poor job of getting Egypt out of themselves. They couldn't get Egypt out of themselves. They still thought like that. They still thought in that way. They still worshiped other gods. They still turned their hearts away from God. So by the time we get through Judges, we see the heart of a nation that's turning away from God. It's scary because in many ways that we look at our nation as the United States of America and we look at our history and started with a closeness to God but you can see in many ways how there's a turning away from God and the same things that we see in God's word happen when a nation turns away from the Lord and so we continue to pray for our nation, pray that we learn from what we read in God's word that will honor him in every way. Well, part of what the people wanted is they wanted a leader. They wanted not to look to the Lord as their king but they wanted to look to a king like every other nation had. And they were comparing themselves to others, and they found themselves coming up wanting. Well, when Samuel's inquiring before the Lord about this, the Lord says to Samuel, don't be discouraged. They haven't rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me as their king. They want a human king. And so God always desired to be their king, but they wanted a human king. And so the Lord said, I'm going to give them their desire. I'm going to raise up a king, a king after my own heart a king that I will anoint with power to lead the people right. And so the first king that served over the people of God was King Saul. And King Saul, he started out good. He started out following the Lord, and the Lord used him mightily. But over time, his heart became divided. Over time, he began to lean more on his own understanding than on the Lord's. And over time, it became clear he would not be the king that the Lord sought after. And he said, I'm instead going to find another king, a man after my own heart. You see, Saul had all the strength. He had all the outward appearance. He had all the traits of someone that would want to look for a king. But there's a different kind of strength that God was looking for. We talked about it last week. Not a strength of hands, but a strength of heart. And he found that in this young boy named David who was tending to the flocks on the backside of Bethlehem when the Lord called him. Whenever the prophet Samuel came to anoint a king that might be in Jesse's house, David was such an afterthought that he wasn't even invited to stand among his brothers. And there, whenever Samuel's going through and everyone has the outward appearance, the Lord says, I'm looking to the heart. And none of these are king. And so they bring David in, this young boy. And instantly, the Lord reveals to Samuel that this is the future king of Israel. He's anointed. Now David, his heart was full of faith. It was faithful to the Lord. It was set apart unto God. 
And on that day, when everyone else cowered in fear, where we were last week in chapter 17, as they stood on one side of a mountain and the Philistines stood on the other and there was a giant named Goliath standing between them, impeding their progress to move forward into God's promises, it was this young man, David, who stood against everyone else Everyone else that had gone before him, they shook in their boots. They did not know what to do. They were overtaken with fear over this giant. But David could see past that. He could see past it to God's promise. And God was with him. And no weapon formed against him would be able to prosper. And David, as he called out and he prophesied, even in that moment, he said, on this day, God will deliver you unto me. And God did just that and gave them a great victory. And so David, from that moment in time, where we left off last week, he rises to fame. He rises to power. He's someone that becomes very popular among the people. In fact, they even start to make songs about him. And they have chants that go around. And they said, uh, one of them was, in the Bible, you'll read about this this week, they said, uh, Saul was able to slay 1,000, but David could slay 10,000. And so you know that if you're Saul, you can't be too excited to hear about that. Yeah, Saul's good, but David's great. We love David. And Saul is seeing how gifted he is, and he starts to elevate him in his military. But before long, you see, Saul has become a tormented soul because the Spirit of the Lord, the Bible says, departed from him and rested on David. And instead, there's now spirits that would come and afflict Saul and torment him. So he was tormented, and the only relief he would find is actually when David would play for him and sing for him in his courts, and it was only then that he had temporary relief from this. But before long, jealousy and rage and envy and all these things filled Saul's heart, and he started to lash out at David, wanting to take his life. And so think about it with me. David, this young boy who was plucked out of obscurity, placed before the prophet Samuel, anointed to be the future king of Israel. Then he goes and he defeats Goliath. He receives an incredible, incredible welcome, incredible blessings, incredible praise from the people. He rises through the ranks. This man, David, the next few chapters that we read are a time of incredible pain and incredible loss for this man who on paper you'd think, and as everything's progressing, you would think should have it all. Instead, he goes into great loss. He loses his wife. David loses Samuel, someone that he had looked to, someone that had spoken into his life on so many occasions. He loses Jonathan, who had become such a friend to him, such a kinship between them. He loses so much in these moments. And by the time we catch up with David, in chapter 22, the giant killer, the Lord's anointed future king of Israel, is not on a throne is not occupying a kingdom. David is in a cave. He is sitting in a cave. He is in what I would call one of the most unlikely places. He is in an unexpected place. And I tell you that today because you need to put it together in your mind that there will be times that you will find yourself in unexpected places, the place that you least expected yourself to be. And you could be wondering why. David, hard-pressed on every, t- every side, going through incredible loss, incredible pain, feeling utterly alone, he finds himself in an unexpected place. Here's why I tell you this. Because God has some of you in unexpected places. And I want you to know that it wasn't by Saul's doing, and it wasn't just by Saul's hand that David was in that unlikely place, but it was by also by the Lord's hand. 
And the Lord had the power to redeem everything that was happening in that unlikely and unexpected place so that in David's life something greater would happen. You see, the greatest preparation, the greatest readiness doesn't just come from the big battles out in front of everyone, but it's from the inner work that God wants to do through his Holy Spirit when you find yourself in unexpected places. Some of you feel like you're in a cave right now. Some of you feel like you're utterly alone. And I believe today that God's word is for you. I believe that he wants to speak this message into your heart so that you could see that there is an anointing, there is a grace that God has for those that find themselves in unexpected places and he's ready to do something in you and through you and he will lead you through it and you will stand one day on the other side of it able to give God all the glory for what he has done, amen? Able to praise him for his goodness in spite of whatever storm you have been walking through. Here's what I know and here's the bottom line of today's message that God uses unexpected places to birth epic stories. He uses unexpected places to birth epic stories in the lives of his people. So here it is. David is in an unexpected place. He finds himself in a cave. Look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. It says, so David departed from there. He's fleeing from Saul. He escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers in his father's household heard of it, they went down there to him. You see, David just can't seem to get beyond Saul's murderous threats against his life. What we could see at this moment in time is David has kind of bottomed out. He has nowhere left to run. He has nowhere left to hide. He has been hard-pressed on every side, and he finds himself now in a desperate situation. He's in what the Bible says is the cave of Adullam. It's a desolate place. It's a quiet place. It is a lonely place. But it's the only place that he can find himself in this desperate hour. You see, he's there and he's completely decimated in his spirit. In fact, Psalm 142, as David wrote that psalm and that psalm is penned, you can sense the desolation in his soul. You see, it, was, it wasn't in the mountaintop experiences that David wrote many of the psalms that we read in the book of Psalms. Oftentimes we can think about the greatest singer and songwriter that you will read and where they're at when they're writing their music. And those that make millions of dollars, they could be sitting in a beautiful studio, they could be in an air-conditioned loft in New York City somewhere, they could be sitting on a beach when they're doing it. But also you'll know that some songs, some of the songs that carry on, they're also birthed out of great places of pain, anguish, and difficulty. I think about some of the greatest songs we've ever sung in this church also coming from places of great pain. Think about the song, It Is Well With My Soul, Horatio Spafford. He wrote that as his ship that he was riding, going over to Europe, passed over the area where his children were lost at sea and his wife. And as he passed over there, considering all that he had lost, considering everything that had happened to him, he was able to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. So it's in places of brokenness. It's in places of difficulty. It's in places where you can find uh, yourself pressed on every side that God can bring forth some beautiful things. And so we see in Psalm 142 and other psalms that are written how David speaks from his experience and from his anguish, from his loneliness. But as he's there, David never lets his problems outweigh his trust in God. He never lets his problems outweigh his trust in God. He trusts God completely in spite of his circumstances. He continues to know the reality of the situation, but he says, this is true, but God's word is truer. God's word is the truth, 
and I stand on it. Lord, I trust you implicitly that you will lead me and you will guide me. During this time, David is seeking refuge. Refuge is something that is given to someone that has been displaced. We hear about the refugee crisis around this world right now. And so as they come to different countries, as they would come to the United States or any other nation, those refugees are fleeing, searching for a refuge, a place of protection. David, he was going around everywhere looking for a place of protection. And as he found himself in this unexpected place, he learned something about protection. He learned where his true protection comes from. It's often when you're in that most difficult hour that you realize where your protection really comes from. It doesn't come from a cave around you. It doesn't come from a shield that you could wear. It comes from the Lord himself. And David said it again and again and again. The Lord is my refuge and my strength. The Lord is the shelter that I find all my peace in. He is the one that I cling to. He is the one that I lean on. He is the one that I trust in. His strength is made perfect in me. He's the one that I will find and I will look to as my shield and my guard. You see, David learned that he could trust the Lord for protection in every hour. He learned it in the cave. He didn't just learn it when he was on the battlefield. He learned it in the times of difficulty and in the times of trial that he walked through. It wasn't in his strongest hour that David learned the greatest lessons of protection, but it was in his weakest hour. Some of you, you'll realize where your protection really comes from when every other security has been stripped away from you. Some of you, you walk through illness. You're walking through times you used to be able to lean on your body. You used to be able to lean on yourself and on your own strength in a way that you can always remember. And it kept you and it held you and it, and it, and it, and it just preserved you in so many ways. But as years go on, as situations and circumstances change, that can go away. And you can find yourself where you feel that that, that has been compromised and I want you to know something today. You don't need to feel vulnerable in that way anymore because the Lord is your protection. He is your rock and he is your refuge. Come on, somebody. He is the one that holds you. He is the one that is your shelter and your shield. He is your strong tower. He will keep you and preserve you. It often isn't until we go through times of great pain, great loss, great trial, great difficulty that we learn what is true and what is false, what is a lie, what looks true on the outside. And we learn what true strength really looks like. Paul understood this incredibly in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. Here's what he says. He says, most gladly that I would rather boast in my infirmities so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It often is when those, those securities are stripped away, when we are most vulnerable, that we can learn where our true security is found. It's in the Lord, it's in his name, it's in his power, and in his might. It was there in the cave that David learned that. We see it echoed through the words that were penned in the Psalms. We see it through the way that he lived his life moving forward throughout the story. But the second thing that happened in that unexpected place, the cave, was it was a place of preparation for David and for the people. It was a place of preparation for him. You'll find the greatest school that you could ever go through 
It isn't found in any Ivy League catalog. It's not found uh, amongst the highest ranking universities in our land. The greatest school you go through is the school of pain. It's a school of hard knocks, as someone calls it. It's a school of difficulties and trials. You will learn more through your failures, through your difficulties, and through your trials than through a thousand textbooks. I'm telling you, God can teach you so much. He has a way of redeeming. He has a way of teaching, even through pain. And you'd say, is it that he wants to bring pain into my life so that I could learn something? What kind of father is that? What kind of God is that? No, he's a God who can take painful circumstances, even if you're the one that's allowed them in your life, even if you've caused them by walking away from him. He can redeem it. Here's what the Bible says, that he can work all things together for good. And that what the enemy meant for evil, he can turn for good. And he can do a greater work through it. God has a way of taking pain and using it to prepare you for the future and to prepare you for what's coming next and what he has for you. So don't give up. But you see, that pain can do something to you. That pain can make you better or it can make you bitter, right? The adversity and the trial, you can just allow that bitterness to come over you and you become paralyzed or you can allow the Lord to redeem it. There were a group of people that came around David that rallied to him. When he felt completely alone, they stood with him. Could you imagine with me, Gabe, you're right here. Would you mind standing up? Would you stand right here in the middle? So Gabe, you're David, okay? This is David. He's there. He's in the cave. He's alone. He's all by himself. He's going through these circumstances of all these things that have happened to him, all these things that Saul had done to him, all these things that have happened to persecute him. And so there is David. Is he's, he's closing his eyes. And so Gabe, you close your eyes right now. And he's just frustrated. Put your hands out of your pocket and just clench your fists to show how frustrated you are about what you're going through. And before long, he opens his eyes. David turns around. And he finds out there's 400 guys standing with him. <laughs> this is what happens in the second verse of, second, of 1 Samuel chapter 22. He, he's standing there. He's all alone. And here's what the Bible says. You may be seated. They just wanted to clap for you, Gabe, because you were standing, but I had to get you to stand up. Here's what it says, the Bible says, and imagine that. Everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is discontented gathered to David, and he became captain over them. And now there are about 400 men with him. Right here, down this floor, right here. Imagine that, that as David's there, he's alone, he's in a cave. He feels like, I'm the only person going through this. And there they are, 400 men come around him. And they say, this is what's happened to us as well. You're not alone. Some of you, you'll stand. And you'll feel like you're the only one going through it. But let that picture settle in your mind, that as you close your eyes and as you're praying, God, what is going on in my life? You could look to your left and to your right in the same way that you were able to just a moment ago and realize, I'm not alone. I'm not standing alone. There are a lot of other people that are probably walking through maybe the same thing that I'm walking through. And don't think God's forgotten you. And don't think you're the only one, because God's with you. He's there. And so there are men that had gone through the same things. They were overtaxed. They were in debt. Saul had overtaxed them. Saul had, um, had, had done so many things against them. His, in his almost insanity, he was beginning to persecute these people. And because of it, they became dissatisfied. They became disillusioned. They were discontented. And there are three ways that these men are described. Now think about this. God truly has brought the A-team around David. Give me everyone that's distressed. Give me everyone that's in debt. Give me everyone that's discontented. 
and I will lead them. <laughs> that, 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 that's it. This is truly a misery loves company situation here. Um, you have people that are distressed, and the literal Hebrew word for this means that they were disabled by their anguish. That's what it means to be distressed. They were in debt. That means that they were overwhelmed and bound by their creditors and men who were discontented. And this literally means a bitterness of the soul. Like I said, when you come to problems, challenges, when you find yourself in unexpected places, it can be so easy that you become bitter because of what's happening in your life because of the circumstance that you find yourself in. And these men, some of them, they came bitter. They came bitter. They came distressed. They, they, were, they were just paralyzed. They were bound in debt. And these are the men that came around David and they made him their leader. And David led them. What's so beautiful is we have psalms that were written from this very time, this moment in history. Psalms that were written from this very cave. And one of them is Psalm 34. And I encourage you to read it and allow it to be a part of your prayer time. Allow it to be a way of encouraging you because it's amazing that it was composed in this cave and it reveals not just David's heart, but it reveals how David led these men that came around him. Hear this. This is how Psalm 34 begins. He led them in praise. I will bless the Lord at all times. Psalm 34, 1. It will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. You see, David got among this group of men who had every reason to be upset. And he said, no, no, no. We can have all of our challenges, but we will lift up the name of the Lord. We will bless the Lord forever. We will continue to exalt his name. We'll never allow ourselves not to be praising God. I invite Pastor Rick and the worship team to come at this time. That's a great cue for them. Um, He assured them of God's protection in verse 7. The angel of the Lord encamps about those who fear him and delivers them. He then turns their attention to trust in the Lord and all that he can do. And look at this, specifically to the distressed. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. To those in debt, Oh, fear the Lord. Verse 9, You, his saints, there is no want for those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. To the discontented, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. He saves those who are contrite in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Come, you children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. These men of Israel, these men who had come distressed, hurting, broken, the Lord used David and used that unexpected place that they all found themselves in to not be a place of pain, to not be a place of commiserating, to not be a place of just sharing problems, but he used it. God redeemed it. He made it a place of preparation. These would go on to be the mighty men that would go and do incredible things on behalf of the Lord as David led them. And here's what it says about how David led them in Psalm 78, verse 72. It says, so he shepherded them. David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands. He led them. You see, David was able to lead them. He was able to allow God to prepare him and to prepare them through that unexpected place. And the final thing that they learned as they were in that cave, in that unexpected place, 
because they weren't just in the cave. God led them out of there. He led them to other places, other places they could find refuge, other places they could find protection. He taught them where the protection came from. He taught them what it means to be prepared, but he also taught them what it meant to have the right perspective. Perspective was the final thing that they learned. They learned that their perspective needed to change. It couldn't just be focused on their problems, but it had to be focused on the Lord who was the the great provider, the great warrior, the great protector, the great one who could do abundantly more. And so they needed to turn their eyes and they need to change their perspective. I heard it said that your perspective is your point of view, but your point of view is just your view from a point. And I tell the people that are sitting in the balcony right now looking this way that you see something completely different than I see. I could tell you I see a phone on a wall and I could tell you I see about 12 hangers and I see a white light that comes on when the lights go out and I see, and you could say, I don't see any of those things. What are you talking about? I would tell you, change your perspective and you could see what I see. The same thing happens when we go through challenges, when we go through these things. All we can see is our problems. All we can see is the overwhelming fear. All we can see is the mountain that stands in front of us. And God says this, change your perspective. Look to me. Look over here. Look at what I'm about to do. And if we were willing to change that point of view, that perspective, if we're willing to look where God wants us to look, we could see something completely different, how he's about to work to redeem it, how he's going to lead us through it, how he can change things. Something amazing happens in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. A statement's here that I'd encourage you to write down and consider. It says, later, David, he went to Mitzpah in Moab, And he asked the king, please allow my father and mother to live here with you. And this is the phrase that catches me. Until I know what God is going to do for me. You know what would happen if it was me and if I was running from someone I needed to protect my family? I would go to whoever it is that I needed to talk to and I'd say, hey, listen, could you help me out? Could you allow my my family to stay with you until I figure out what I'm going to do? Many of you, you said that when you've gone through crisis. Hey, here's what I, until I figure out what I'm going to do. But do you hear what David says? Until I know what the Lord is going to do for me. Not what I'm going to do in my own strength, but what the Lord is going to do for me. I need to wait on him. That's a different perspective, church. It's a different way of seeing it. It's not just saying, how am I going to overcome this obstacle? But Lord, how are you going to work in the midst of this? What is it that you're up to, Lord? And so we go on to verse 4 that David goes and he gathers the men and they, they are in a stronghold. They're there. They're protected again. They're in a place of refuge. But David's waiting on something. Not what he's going to do, but what God's about to do. And a prophet comes to him in verse 5 and told David, leave the stronghold and return to Judah. So David went to the forest of Hereth, another unexpected place. He left the security of a stronghold for a forest to go back to Judah towards a man who is looking to take his life. Do you know why? Because David realized something that you and I have to realize, that the safest place to be is inside the will of God. The greatest place to be, the safest place to be, the only place to be is in the will of God. There's nowhere safer. There's no stronghold. There's no fortified city. There's no amount of money. There's nowhere safer to be than in the will of God. And David didn't try to figure out, what am I going to do in this moment? What is God about to do? He heard from the, the prophet of God that said, go. Go. And David said, I will go. And he went. 
he followed in complete obedience. We have to change our perspective. We have to make it like Jesus in John 4, 20, or 34. He said, it is my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to finish his work. That's what my food is. That's what I live for. I want to fulfill his will in my life. As we close today, I want to close with a story that I had heard a while back. It's a story about perspective. It's a story about overcoming challenges. And it's an old parable that's told many, many years ago. It's about a farmer who's getting older in years and an old mule that he has and an old well that's on his property. And this farmer has this mule who's advancing in years. And as this mule's walking through the property, falls inside the well. Down inside the well, the mule's crying out. The farmer hears, he goes, he looks. There's no way of getting this mule out. Um, the well isn't doing well anyways. And so it's, he needs to find a better source of water. So he calls some of his friends. He said, will you come? Will you help me dig? I need to dig a new well. My mule fell in my other well and, and, uh, and, and, I, and I need to dig a new one. So they come and they begin to dig. And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig there, but we're going to bury my mule as well and, and, and bury this old well. So could you imagine this mule still alive in the bottom of this well? Every dig, every shovel full of dirt is being piled on top of him. Before long, there's dirt around his legs. Before long, the dirt's starting to pile up on his, on his back. But the mule does something. He begins to shake. He shakes the dirt off of him and he steps up on top of the dirt. And they shovel some more. And they're just shoveling away. And the mule's shaking it off. He's stepping up, shaking it off, stepping up, shaking it off, stepping up until they get that last piece of dirt there. And the mule comes stepping out of the well, standing on solid ground. And you could see the things that were meant to bury the mule became the blessing that led him out of that pit. And I want to tell you something today. I realize it again and again and again. God's word reaffirms it to us that the thing that the enemy wants to do to bury you is the very thing that God could use to bless your life, to lead you to a different place, to lead you to a deeper place of intimacy with himself and to restore things unto you. You could never imagine that which the enemy would mean to bury you. God could use to bless you, but you got to change your perspective. You got to see the way the Lord wants you to see. You got to keep your eyes focused on Him, and it requires perseverance. The Bible calls for perseverance so that we could run after all that God has for us. Remember to shake it off and to step up, to step up and to continue to run after what God has for you today. Would you stand with me this morning? God's Word says in Psalm 27 Wait on the Lord and be of good courage. He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so today's a day and an opportunity for us, wherever you're at, whatever you're walking through in this life, I want you just to bow your heads right now and I want you to make a place for you and the Lord to meet for these few moments. We've been turning our attention to him. We've been turning our focus to him. And for these last few moments, I want you to give the Lord your undivided attention. I want you to begin to search in your heart and in your life. What is it that you're walking through? What is it that you've been, um, been standing in? Where do you find yourself today? For many of you, I know you're in an unexpected place. God does not have you here by accident. He's ordained these moments because he wants to speak to you. He wants to minister to you. He wants to do something in your life right now to prepare you, to lead you through it. 
And so today, the Lord wants to show you that he is your protection. Today, the Lord wants to prepare you and not allow this thing that has happened in your life to turn you bitter. Today, the Lord wants to change your perspective and he wants to give you new eyes to see what he is at work doing in you and through you. And so today is this opportunity for us to lean on the Lord, for us to wait upon the Lord, for us to take these final moments that we have in this service, for us to begin to make an altar before the Lord. And so we're going to open up these altars in just a moment. We're going to bring down the lights that are here and we're going to begin to press in. We're going to worship the Lord. And as Pastor Rick begins to sing and the worship team leads us, there's going to be no other formal introduction. Here's what we're going to invite you to do. Just step out of your seats and come and find a place at this altar. If what you've heard in God's word describes where you're at today, then come and wait upon the Lord for that strength. For the rest of us, we're just going to worship the Lord together. And then as you feel led to go at the end of that song, we're free. But let's spend these last moments pressing in. Let's spend these last moments going before the Lord. If I've described you today, that's where you're at, an unexpected place. Step out, step in, continue to gather at this altar and make a place to meet with the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. We thank you that you're the God that meets us in every unexpected place. Lord, we thank you that there's nowhere that we can find ourselves today that's too far from your arm's reach. We thank you today, Lord God, that you're doing a new thing, Lord God. And in the midst of pain, in the midst of circumstance, in the midst of trial, in the midst of a diagnosis, in the midst of a loss, whatever it is, Lord God, you can be at work, Lord. We trust you are at work, Lord God. Lord, I pray for those who have just become distressed. I pray for those, Lord God, who have become so embittered, Lord God, that it's filled their heart, Lord God. They feel you're so far from them. Refresh them by your Holy Spirit today. Pour something new upon them, I pray, in the name of Jesus, Lord God. We thank you today that we could lean on you. Let's worship the Lord together and continue to respond to him.